Hello and welcome to Talk of the Town, a brand new podcast about Barnsley Football Club and the wider world of football. In this episode, we'll be looking back at the Reds' 1-0 victory at the Kyne Prince Foundation Stadium and the significance of that win in the fight against relegation. We'll also be taking a look at the results of the teams in and around the Reds and what that means for the Championship table after the first game since the restart. Football in England may have taken a short break, but the usual controversial moments have not been lost and we'll be taking a look back at the drama that has taken place this weekend. This is Talk of the Town. Now, Barnes's last match was back on the 7th of March in a 2-0 defeat at home to Cardiff City, with the long break between matches being of course due to the coronavirus pandemic, which has changed how we live our lives and has led to tragically the loss of life. After three months, football returned in England this week, with Barnsley kicking off at QPR, a place where the Reds haven't tasted victory in 70 years. Gerhard Struber went into the game with a full squad, but there are question marks surrounding every squad in these circumstances, with the lack of game time. Spectators not being allowed in the stadium meant that supporters had to compromise and watch the game on iFollow, but the system suffered problems and left many not being able to watch the start of the game, which in typical fashion was unfortunate for the Reds fans as Barnsley took the lead in the seventh minute. Academy graduate Romel Palmer, who was making his debut for the Reds, won the ball back in the middle of the pitch and distributed the ball to Ben Williams, who played, def- who played a defence-splitting ball through to Elliot Samoas, who on his third appearance for the Reds, dinked the ball over on-rushing QPR goalkeeper Liam Kelly to give the Reds an early advantage. The Reds continued to dominate proceedings until half-time, with QPR coming out for the second half with a renewed sense of vigour. However, the Reds' defence remained resolute and secured a precious win and an ideal start-back for Struber and the team. I spoke to Paul Kinney, QPR fan and regular on the QPR podcast about the game. So, uh, Paul, what, what were your uh, f- thoughts going into the uh, game? Well, I was all right about it until my mate sort of reminded me uh, that you're a dismal record at Loftus Road. And then I just thought, well, I'm not even going to bother watching because I know exactly what's going to happen. And it did. So, um, yeah, it's it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's typical QPR. They take you up to the top of the hill because we're doing quite well before lockdown. And then they boot you down the other side rapidly. So yeah, I was quite I was quite surprised how lethargic we were. I was quite surprised that um, we we didn't really um, adapt to it. And um, there's one team wanted to win the game, and that was that was Barnsley, a fair play that won it. Yeah, obviously going into the game, there were a few uh, rumbles of discontent from the QPR camp. Obviously, uh, the uh, I mean, showing a few doubts about the restart date and whatnot. Do you think that had a part to play, or is it just uh, excuses or? Nah, I mean, you know, both both teams train at the same time. You can, you, I mean, do you know what? I never thought of that for an excuse, but that's brilliant, and I wish I'd have used it. In fact, <laughs> I'm going to use that. Nah, it's it's we, we Barnsley were just much better and um, hungry in the day, and um, you can't take it away from them. I think it was unless I got this wrong. Was it your goalkeeper's debut as well, um, or someone? Uh, yeah, well, the goalkeeper's debut this season, yes, in the championship, yes, yeah, his first game, yeah. Um, yeah, so he, yeah. He, he was a youngster, and we didn't, you know, you'd like to think that he was being, you know, tested for want of a better word. He, he wasn't tested, and I think that's just, just what went ready for it. It's just, yeah, we just got to take it to the chin. And, uh, you know, before the lockdown, we're going, you know, talking the playoffs, we're doing really well. And, um, you know, fair play to you guys. That's the, uh, you've done the double over us. So, um, yeah, yeah. No arguments. I'd love to think of something really nasty to say and, and banterish and, and just say we're robbed. But I, I just, I think, to be honest, it could have been worse if, if you had a little bit more belief. Um, do you know what I mean? It's, it's like the, you're a good side. And um, I don't think some of the guys realise it in your team. I don't mean that in the patronising sense. I think you're actually quite a decent side, though. It's just that 
the results obviously haven't been, I haven't seen you all season, but there's there's, there's stuff in there. That it's, it's just maybe it hasn't clicked before, or maybe it will click. But you know, you, hopefully you'll keep fear for them kids because there's some good ones there. Yeah, it's been a common theme this season, really, sort of uh, showing a lot of promise, but not really delivering that every game and that giving that consistency that's needed to, uh, you know, get that string of results together and get that momentum up the table. It's just been a common theme, really, this season. I mean, every, uh, most fans from uh, most teams have admitted that. Um, so, specifically speaking about the game, what were your mm-hmm. thoughts? What were your thoughts about how it played out and uh, the events that happened within? I mean. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm still waiting for us to have a shot. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure when that's going to happen, but I've been promised sometime before Saturday when we go to the Valley. Nah, it's, it's, as I said, no arguments. It was it's, it's, it was eerie because I kept looking, focusing on my state for the ground, which is very bizarre. And um, I don't know what it's like for you when you go to Oakwood or something. When you, we have the cameras, the, the ground looks different because obviously where I sit is completely different to where the TV country is. And yeah, yeah. The, the, that 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 was weird. That whole concept of the um, seeing the Barnsley players coming in from the the loft, which I presume you got there's a bar there, so I presume you guys got really in the bar down there, was very yeah. very strange. And the um, I didn't listen to it with sound because I think this whole sound thing's a nonsense. So I just listened. I just you know had no sound. You can hear the players talking and stuff. And it was it was like an under twenty threes game. And I think listen, it's going to take everyone so long to get used to it. I mean. I can't. It's going to take four or five games. I think it's something like in the championship. Twenty percent of the teams that played at home lost. Only sorry, only twenty percent won. Sorry. So you, you kind of it's obviously going to take a while to get used to. But you know, I mean, it, it wasn't the best of games. Let's be honest. And um, but I don't want to say that in a kind of a oh we got beat so for it was rubbish. It just wasn't a very good game for us. And um, I think we just we didn't react to the circumstances as well. But yeah, it's very very weird and. I think the home advantage for teams like us and yourselves is, is, is really, really vital. And when you haven't got that, it's just weird. It's, it's very strange watching it, to be fair. Weirder than I thought it would be because we watching the Bundesliga and watching the uh, Premiership restarts. And, but yeah, seeing your own team and your own ground empty like that is just weird. Unless, of course, you support MK Dons where it's perfectly normal. <laughs> yeah, obviously, uh, a lot of teams have been uh, saying that. Like I said, mentioned the Bundesliga there, that the, pa- the pattern of home wins, away wins has seen... It, that being the uh, new circumstances, seeing that being disrupted in terms of home advantage is not as crucial. And obviously, in our position, uh, being at the bottom of the table, like you said, it is crucial that we do get the home advantage. And you know, we're necessarily not going not going to get that. But on the other hand, if you look at the other, the other way and say that we probably wouldn't have won. Well, we haven't won at Loftus Road, like you mentioned, since 1950. Would we have won in a normal scenario on Saturday if it was normal? So, it, I guess it works mm. both ways for us in that respect. Um, so, speaking about uh, the Reds, Barnsley, was anybody catch your eye from our team from the weekend? Well, your substitute with the blonde hair, I have to say, as, a, as an aging individual of myself and having her envy, he looked like he should be like straight out of a Marvel magazine. <laughs> he, he, I think he's Australian. I'm not yeah, sure Kenny, uh, Kenny Dougal, yes, yes. Well, great name for a footballer. What an image. I mean, that, yeah, he, he definitely caught the eye, but maybe not for the right reasons. Um, I think, yeah, you, you made Phil look pretty good. I mean, what Barnsley did to us, they did a job with us. They obviously realised that Masterson and um, Barbet hadn't played that much together. And you can see it for the, the goal when the when the, the man sort of broke through. You played, through, you played into the gap really well. And uh, you, exposed, you exposed, I think you've done a job with us, actually. I think. Your manager is no no fool. He, he done his he's, he done his homework, and it's 
you know, whatever way you look at it, it's good to see a young manager getting a go and and giving it. But yeah, I think I think you've. I don't want to patronise you as I keep saying. I don't want to say oh, you've got hope because you have. But it's, it's such a strange league. This. I mean, you could play your next game and get absolutely hammered. No one knows, but. I'd like to think that the six points we have given you will go some way towards keeping you up because the league needs teams like Barnsley because um, it's one of the best away days that, I've, that we have during the season. We love going to, to well, it's a, it's a great old-fashioned old proper ground, not these horrible new places. You can tell I'm old when I say these things, but it's, I do enjoy with Barnsley. So I think you've, I think you've got hope. I think you've got you've got a bit of fight though as well. I was impressed as well that you didn't go down the road of just kicking everyone. Because normally the, yeah. the bottom of the table, you, you, you're trying to play your way out of it. I, I don't know if that's why it's suicidal, but it's um, it's bloody good to see because you, you you're really doing you're doing it you're doing it the right way. Because um, I can't remember too many bookings, or if there was any bookings actually, I'm not sure. I'm terrible with stats and memory things, but yeah, I think I think you've got hope. I mean, I think the, the lad that scored the goal, he seems, you know, he, he was like a whippet. Um, so yeah, I think that there's. You've got hope, though. If you, if you get more results like that, you should hopefully be okay. But as I say, this league is mental. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so you're looking at the reference to the table picture there. So Barnsley now, after that result, on uh, in 23rd position, come off the bottom of the league, uh, reduced the gap from seven points to four. QPR, as you briefly touched on, looking for the playoffs before lockdown, now seven points off the playoffs. Mm. Are those hopes for QPR still alive or have you, as a fan base, gauging the mood of the expectations sort of being lowered after the, after what you've seen on Saturday? Or hard to say. I mean, you know, we're quite a strange club. We're, we're totally in um, uh, transition again. We, we spend a lot of time in transmission. I think it's what, what they, when they say we don't really know what we're doing. So they call it a new phase. Um, so we're we're kind of... Normally around 16th, 17th down that end, so it's quite nice to be a little bit above that. Um, if we if we could only find a striker, we might even win a game. I think I don't think we've got the firepower for the playoffs. I think that's it. that that was pretty. It's a horrible thing to say. We've got Eze, we've got Bright Samuel, we've got um, Hogan alone, but the, the, Hugo, sorry, we've got we've got the we've got the players, but the system is is we haven't got the backup. You can see that on Saturday, we're just lacking. Um, playoffs would be lovely, but. To be honest, I'm happy. anything above tenth position is a massive improvement in what we've had. We've had some bad years. We've had some, you know, we're still trying to thin the squad out. We're still trying to do the right thing, bring in kids, um, get rid of this horrible tag we had of spending horrible, horrible amounts of money and horrible players who weren't any good and just came to the club for a last payday and absolutely robbed us blind. So yeah, it's it's. Um, I'd much prefer this QPR side to the one we've had years ago. Um, because at least they're going to try and they, hopefully we'll, we'll get it right eventually. We just want, once we find that striker, but then how many teams in the championship are looking for that 25 goal a season striker? Yeah, I uh, imagine, imagine every team really. I mean, in our position, obviously, it's crucial that we get the goals and it, it's something that we don't really struggle really. It's at the other end, uh, really, uh, we struggle keeping the goals out. But uh, next game for QPR is Charlton away uh, at 12.30. So with everything in mind, the table positions will QPR do Barnsley a favour? Um, I wouldn't rule it out. I don't know. It's it's so tricky because we just haven't got that firepower. Or doesn't seem to be. I mean, we we kind of our captain left as well last um, last week, and a couple of players have you know, we, um, Hugh left as well. So we haven't. We're a bit short on depth, really. Um, I was surprised that Charlton did one like the weekend. They beat Holden, they so. Um, 
I'd imagine mm-hmm. that Hull's in total free fall now. So it's going to be two teams, probably Luton and Hull, so I, I think are doomed. So it's one from them. So yourselves and Charlton, yeah, they, we, I don't know. Um, I'd like to see as when I, I, I imagine it'll probably be a draw, but they're, they're playing for their lives. And we're kind of mid table with, without any real striker. So unless you hopefully we can turn that around, but yeah, we, we could do you a favor, but I wouldn't bank on this. Certainly wouldn't put us down Iraqi for a win. That's for sure. Um, but Charlton, like yourselves, a young side, and they got your man up front as well. So that he, so who knows? Um, but if it was a choice between you staying up and Charlton staying up, I prefer you because I went to school in that part of London. I don't like Charlton fans. Thank you very much for <laughs> speaking today. No worries. I hope you can make some sense of that. And I hope you stay up. I did actually mean Oakwell is a fantastic. As long as on a freaking Saturday, it's one of the best away days. As we have mentioned, football returned last week after three months. And the first game to welcome football back was between Aston Villa and Sheffield United. Both teams with aspirations at different ends of the table, with relegation and Europe on the cards, respectively. I spoke to Josh Chapman, presenter from the Sheffield Hallam University Football Forum podcast and Sheffield United fan, about the game. First of all, Josh, your thoughts on the game? Well, you know, like you mentioned there, it was the first game back for the Premier League after what was it, 100, ga- 100 days or something like that. Um, and let's be honest, it was far from a classic. Uh, two teams that are in very much different positions in the league, Sheffield United, you know, slightly unexpectedly challenging for a Europa League slash Champions League spot. Um, Aston Villa trying to stave off relegation. They've not had a great season after spending quite a lot of money in the summer um, on, on bringing new players in. It's not quite working for them. In terms of the game, I thought it was quite a poor fest, to be honest. I thought Villa probably had the better of the chances in the first half um, and probably were the slightly better team. Don't really think United really got going. Um, you know, that early doors, we were missing two vital players, obviously O'Connell and Flake, both missing. O'Connell's so imperative to how we play in our system, that overlapping centre-half system. Um, and he, he's just so integral to that. Flake, for me, really makes our midfield tick. Um, and when you're missing two important players such as those, you're always, for me, always going to struggle. Um, and I think, like I say, United took a little bit of time to get going. Um, second half, not much better. I thought maybe we'd come out after half time and, and really have a go at it. We didn't. Um, and it, and it kind of died away 45 minutes. I thought we had the better of the ball in the second half, to be honest. Moved it around slightly better. But for me, throughout the 90 minutes, I don't really think we looked like scoring. We had a lot of wayward passes. We were second to every ball, second to every second ball. Um, a disappointing way to return, really, um, as far as United are concerned. And, you know, we'll, we'll come on to it in a minute. It should have been three points. It was only one. Um, I guess it's a point gained, isn't it, really? But in the grand scheme of things, and at least we didn't lose, but probably should have been better. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, we're going to come on to that in a minute. So, obviously, the game not taking place in normal circumstances. As we touched on, there's been a 100-day break, and obviously... With the situation currently in the world, that means that extra precautions have had to be brought into place. Uh, obviously, the big one being there being no fans in the stadium. So, uh, as a fan, what were your thoughts on the uh, spectacle as a whole? Yeah, well, I, I, obviously, Sky Sports are doing the option where you can either watch it with crowd noise or without. On, on Wednesday, I actually watched it without. Um, I was quite in, interested to see what it would sound like uh, without. Uh, it, it is hard, isn't it? You know, it's never enjoyable watching football at home, even when there is fans in the stadium. I always hate watching football on the telly because it just makes me so nervous. 
you know, whether it's United, whether it's England, whether it's anybody else, you know, I, I just don't like watching football on the telly as much as I do sitting on the ground. But, you know, we can't be there for, for obvious reasons. You know, it's just something we're going to have to get used to. At least football's back. But, you know, they say football's nothing without its fans, is it? And I think maybe that's, that's going to have an impact on some clubs more than it is on others. Uh, United in particular has such a vocal home support and away support for that matter, you know, very passionate set of fans. Um, and I think sometimes United fans really are the 12th man. It's such a cliche in football, but I think United is one of those clubs that really does rely on that 12th man um, figure in terms of the fans being there and, and really willing them on and encouraging them and, and trying to make it a really hostile environment, especially at Bramall Lane. Uh, and obviously without that, it's, it's slightly different, isn't it? But, you know, it, it was OK. Like I said, at least football's back, but it's not, it's not the same as being in the stadium. I know a lot of people saying that regarding the fans in the stadium, but for me personally, I think it's better than having nothing at all. Uh, you know, it's definitely better than there being no football, not having any discussion points. So, uh, yes, speaking of dis- discussion points, there was one big one in the uh, in this particular game. So we'll, we'll just have a quick recap of the incident. So Sheffield United win a free kick on the left-hand side. Norwood takes it. There have been doubts about Nealand, the Aston Villa goalkeeper's ability uh, catching crosses. Uh, he does claim it. It's right under his throat. He claims it, but it's dropped. He bumps into Davis, the Aston Villa striker. Nealand falls into the net. Goal isn't given. Players protest, knowing that it's gone over the line. Michael Oliver looks at his watch, as per is the protocol now. Doesn't give the goal, and then obviously the game continues. Well, I just thought it was an absolute mess. And in all honesty, in real time, when I saw the free kick go in, I, I was convinced it was in. I was I was sure it had gone in. I didn't like you know even before the replay was shown, I was adamant that it had gone in. And I was baffled as to the fact that you know obviously Michael Oliver looked at his watch, didn't give it. Um, and I think you know United players were. Very baffled as well. One of the videos that United put out in the aftermath after the game uh, was from the side side of the pitch, uh, and I think it might have been Sharp or McBurney saying that he's he's in the goal, shall we say? Um, and he he was. It was clear to everyone to see. Um, you, there was there was whispers at halftime from the the referees' room that um, that a goal notification had actually come through during halftime, um, and. The, the, the way that Sky worded it was that they'd been told from the referee's room that the technology is now working, which implies that it wasn't working before, um, which is just absolutely scandalous. You know, everyone could see that it had gone in. And then, obviously, Hawkeye, the company that run Goal Line Technology, released a statement post-game saying that, you know, what happened at the United Villa game has never happened in 9,000 games of football before, which just seems absolutely baffling. I don't know how, you know, and, th- and they say that, all seven of their cameras, all seven of their Hawkeye goal line technology cameras were blocked or, you know, occluded, as they as they put it. But it just doesn't make sense to me, especially when, you know, on their website, talking about how goal line technology works, they explicitly say that, you know, if players are in the way, it makes no difference because of the technology that they use always allows the ball to be seen, which begs the question, was Hawkeye actually working at all in the first half? it makes you say not because, you know, I've never, ever seen that happen where the ball has quite clearly gone across the line. You can see it blatantly from multiple different angles from sky cameras. And then, you know, they've said, oh, well, you know, our cameras are blocked. But then I guess the bigger issue is 
what's the what's the linesman doing? The linesman stood directly in line with it, looking at the ball. He can see that Nealon's in the net with the ball in his hands. Why is the linesman not gone? Hang on, Michael. You know, I think you might need to go and check that. Looks like it's gone into me. I know it's not flashed up, but it, it did look like it went in. Michael Oliver, he's just relying on his watch, going, well, you know, it's not flashed up. Can't check it, I'm afraid. You've got Paul Tierney, he sat at Stockley Park, with all these screens in front of him, all these different replays. He's had a look at that, nah, not interested. Not, I'm not going to overrule it. Goal line technology says it's not him. It, there's so many different fail-saves that could have been brought into play that weren't. And you just think, why? Why was you know, a bit of common sense not applied? I understand that. Generally, 9,999 times out of 10,000, you know, Orkai gets that right. And it's, you know, it's, it's a correct decision either one way or the other. But you can, you know, everyone can clearly see that that ball is in the net and Nealon's sat in net with it. You know, I'd rather wait a couple of minutes for VIR to just double check and go, I'm not convinced on that. You know, let me just go and double check and bail Hawkeye out if necessary because then the decision's made. Admittedly, like I said a few minutes ago, I didn't think United played that well. thought we were fairly poor. don't think either team played particularly well. Villa probably edged it, but at the end of the day, goals win games. Performances don't win games. And, you know, when you score what is a perfectly valid goal for it to not be given at all, let alone for it to be disallowed, is it's just not good enough. You know, and in, in the English football's top level, you'd expect those decisions to be getting right. And I think, for me... One of the overriding things is that it just shows how lazy officials have become. You know, what, what's the linesman actually used for? You know, they're not used for offsides anymore because they're not told to put the flag up for marginal offside decisions because VAR is going to check it and check whether it's right. So they don't do that anymore. They obviously don't get goals anymore because goal line technology does that. So what are they there for? Referees can give throw-ins and corners. So you don't need a linesman anymore if you're going to use all this technology. And Michael Oliver just going, well, no, it's not flashed up on watch, so I'm not going to give it, I'm not going to go check it. Just, just lazy officiating, but an absolutely shocking decision. An, an absolute farce of a game, really. And it just turned the second half into a, well, just an absolute mess. What was the point in that second half? What was the point? Like you say, obviously, um, very, uh, very marginal game, very tight game, as expected to be in the circumstances we're in, in terms of teams you know, being a bit rusty and needing the... Uh, Leading the chance, need to take the chances when they come. Sheffield United did score a goal, as replays show. That would have given that advantage within the game. But like you said, technology failed. And I'm just looking now at the uh, bigger picture in terms of league table. Two more points would give Sheffield United 46, tied with both Manchester United and Wolves. Obviously, it's a very tight picture going for that uh, top four spot. Even for the Europa League spots, it's very tight. It's a massive overachievement for Sheffield United to be even here at this stage of season now. But it's got to be frustrating when, you know, you are this perceived smaller team. Well, I don't think you know, I don't think anybody affiliated with Sheffield United would admit that they are uh, a small fish in a big pond in terms of the picture they're in at the minute. Not that they don't deserve to be there. But it's got to be even more frustrating when it's those marginal decisions that are going to make such a big difference towards the end of the season. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, you know, at the end of the day, in that Villa game, it should have been three points rather than one. Three points would have stuck us up to fifth. And we, obviously, we had a poor result at the weekend. You know, the less said about the less said about that, the better, because that was genuinely terrible. Um, but you know, if we get three points on on Wednesday night, maybe that result yesterday could have been slightly different. Maybe the performance might have been slightly different. You, get, you know, we, we've not played for three months. Get that first three points back on the board. 
it, it could have been crucial um, and it really could have been crucial to, to how our season now pans out. You mentioned, you know, we're challenging for Europe, which for me defies all expectations of this season. If, if anybody's asked me before the start of the season where I'd like to finish, I'd have said 17th. Just anywhere above that relegation zone would have been more than sufficient for me. And the fact we're where we are is absolutely mental. Um, you know, the, the, the results that we've had and the performances we've put in this season have been absolutely fantastic. And we do deserve to be there, but you know, that, that goal could have been an absolutely massive goal in terms of what happens next season. In terms, you know, we, we could now miss out on Europe by two points. If we do, then what happens then? Because we should have had two points and we've, you know, we've missed out. You look at the other end of the table, Villa have gained a point there. What if they stay up by a point? You know, what if, they, what if West Ham get relegated by a point? You know, it's the point Villa wouldn't have had if the decision would have been right in the first place. It leaves a lot of clubs in different... Well, it could leave a lot of clubs in difficult positions come the end of the season, purely by the fact that, you know, that goal's not been given. Admittedly, if that goal had been given, you don't know what Villa would have done. You don't know if, they, if, if they'd have reacted to it if they'd come out and got a goal. But the chances are, the way United defend and, and how lacklustre Villa look up front, you'd have probably said not. You'd have, you'd have probably hoped United would have held out for the win, to be honest. Um, I, I just find the whole thing so impactful, you know, in terms of what the decision was made on the night. But look what it could happen to the rest of the season. Brilliant, Josh. Thanks for talking to us today and uh, good luck for the rest of the season. Thanks, Lewis. Thanks for having me on. Back to Barnsley now and looking ahead at this weekend's fixture. The Reds take on Millwall at Oakwell for a 3pm kickoff. Of course, under the new circumstances, there will be no fans within the stadium and it will be the Reds' first game at Oakwell since Cardiff in March, as we mentioned earlier, in the 2-0 defeat. Now, the retained list came out this week. This announcement will see final games for Kenny Dougal, Mamadou Tiam, Danny Pinilos and Sammy Radlinger. They've all not had their contract extended or rejected a new contract, so will leave on the 30th of June. Dougal, of course, featured in the last game against QPR. TM and Pinloss haven't been involved as much this season. Radlinger was on the bench for the QPR game. This news means that this will be their final game. Of course, the reverse fixture at the Den was 2-1 to the Reds. A victory in London. Austrian striker Patrick Schmidt popped up in stoppage time to score the winner with a fantastic header and to take the Reds back up to bounds with three points. One concern for the Reds may be Elliot Samoas went off at half-time against QPR, seemed to be clutching his groin or his thigh, but that could be the only doubt. Millwall come into this one looking to push for the playoffs. As it stands, they're only three points off on 54. Barnsley, however, as we all know, fighting it out at the bottom of the league. The victory at QPR last Saturday meant that the Reds closed the gap from 7 to 4. Barnsley now currently on 37 points. Middlesbrough in 21st on 41. Possibly closing the gap to 1 point if the results go the other way with a victory on Saturday. Thank you for listening to this edition of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please be sure to subscribe and share it around. See you later.